And good morning once again, everyone, from the studios of Laker Country 1049 WJRS. Welcome to our weekly program, All Things Russell. I'm Jeff Hoover, along with our co-host, Tony Kerr, and we have an exciting program lined up uh, for you today on All Things Russell, as we will be talking baseball. And in our studios, as our guest this morning, Dr. Ronald Rogers of Columbia, who's going to be sharing a lot of information with us about uh, a young man from Jamestown who made it to the major leagues by the name of Cy Barger. And also in our studios, David Cross of Albany. And David's going to be talking with us about the infamous shooting at a baseball game in 1931 at Indian Creek. And uh, we look forward to both of these gentlemen and appreciate them being in our studio this morning. Again, as always, if you have questions or comments, uh, you can send us an email at allthingsrussell at lakercountry.com all things Russell at LakerCountry.com or you can give us a call at 270-343-4444 and don't forget an audio of today's uh, program will be available on our website in podcast you can go to LakerCountry.com and click on the tab all things Russell and can listen to a replay or a podcast production of our program. Just very quickly, next Friday, our guest on the program will be Michael Ford, Russell County School Superintendent, and also hopefully Jonathan Dye with the Russell County Health Department, as we'll be talking about school reopening. And then on Friday, July the 24th, another program you do not want to miss, Dr. Rick Miles, uh, we'll be here with Tony and I, and we're looking forward to that. Dr. Miles uh, recently retired as a family practice physician, and he's going to be talking about the practice of medicine in Russell County, some of the early days at the hospital, and I'm sure he'll share some stories of some of our late doctors, Dr. Charles Peck and Joe Petty and James Munning, and we look forward to that program on July the 24th. But today, Tony... Uh, we're going to talk baseball, and we're looking forward to this. We've been looking forward to it for a couple of weeks now, and uh, we have two distinguished gentlemen here in our studio to discuss some interesting things about baseball stemming from Russell County. Great American pastime. Hopefully we get some baseball here uh, before too long with uh, the major leagues uh, starting up with that limited schedule. But uh, baseball was so prevalent in, in our history. And uh, we had we were just talking just a moment ago before we started that uh, you know back in the day and we're talking when when Cy Barker played around 1906 uh, that uh, every community had a baseball team and uh, a lot of people played baseball and it was uh, you didn't have all the entertainment you did today of course there was no radio back then uh, there was certainly no TV and uh, for entertainment people uh, played baseball. And uh, we had some good baseball teams here, uh, like other counties. Dr. Rogers from Adair County he was talking about when he played baseball, a community baseball, we'll call it. And uh, David's aware of uh, what they had over in Clinton County. We're going to talk about uh, that Indian Creek today. But uh, uh, baseball with a lot of history. And we were uh, just a moment ago uh, with our high school athletics, the most consistent uh, winning high school program that we have is our baseball team, the Russell right. County Lakers, from day one in 1953 when Camus Carpenter was coach. Then you follow that up with uh, Alan Feldhouse, Terry Wade, and now David Rex wrote. Uh, they've won more uh, district titles and uh, more regions and gone on to state play uh, than any other. So uh, baseball still very much alive here in Russell County. Well, let's talk baseball. Dr. Rogers, let's start with you this morning. Um, we didn't know until this morning a former neighbor of Cy Barger, but Cy Barger was born in Jamestown, 1885, um, at the age, I think, of about 20, went to the major leagues, but uh, just just tell us about Cy Barger, who he was. Well, uh, they did live across the street from us, uh, 203 Jamestown Street. They built a house, had that house built uh, after a house that they lived in when they, 19 and 15, when they played for uh, Pittsburgh had that house built over there and, and uh, across the street from us. Interesting that uh, Coach Peck, uh, Paul Peck from here is now, now lives in that house. <laughs> that is interesting. Yes, sir. Uh, Cy Barger started in uh, his major league career 
in uh, 1906 and 07 played with the uh, New York Highlanders which later became the New York Yankees about seven years later in 1913 they became the New York Yankees uh, 1908 to 1909 he played in the Eastern League uh, in Rochester New York which uh, be that a have been triple a, a, okay. be a triple A All right. uh, his best year with them uh, he won 23 games in 1909 with that team that team won their won the division then hmm. in 1910, he played with a team called the Brooklyn Supras. It was in the National League. And in 1911, he played with that. That team became the Brooklyn Dodgers. In 1911, 1911, 1912, he played with the Brooklyn Dodgers. 1914 and 15, he played with a team, Pittsburgh Rebels, which was in the Federal League. Tell us about the Federal League. The Federal League was actually a third major league. Uh, it started in 1913, which was a minor league at that time, but in 1914 and 1915, there were actually three major leagues, American League, National League, and the Federal League. Hmm. All those records from the Federal League were sanctioned in 1968 by Major League Baseball. So all the records that those people accomplished in those two years were actually for Major League play. And became part of Major League Baseball became history. part of Major League Baseball. Uh, Cy Barger played seven years in Major League Baseball. Played yeah. a lot longer than that in pro ball. But in Major League, he played two years National League, three years in the American League, and two years in the Federal League hmm. uh, with the uh, Pittsburgh Rebels. That was in the Federal League? Yes, sir. And then he <clears throat> the the – Played with the uh, Brooklyn Supras, is that what? Brooklyn Supras one year okay. in 1910, and then in 1911, the Supras became the Brooklyn Dodgers. Okay. So in 1911 and 1912, he uh, played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah. Interesting background that, uh, you know, so many people locally have never heard of or, or recognized Cy Barger, but he grew up in Jamestown, Tony. I think you know about where he was born and raised you've had some discussions with folks down around esto and uh we'll call that old esto it's uh as you go over the creek if you come from jamestown and going uh and i talked to larry holt this morning larry of course grew up there and uh the barger family grew up uh, in esto in fact we were talking about a place where cy barger would uh, throw rocks into the side of a hill or rock uh, cliff uh, to practice he'd go down there and get water for the family he'd stack rocks up and he'd go down there and throw and there's still two indentations it's crossed from this uh, stream that goes into a creek and uh, larry holt uh, knows all about it and has been there jeff we we might go down there and try to get some pictures <laughs> dr rogers never been there uh, but uh, he was from esto uh, what we call esto today is used to be known as holt's crossroads but that's another show jeff we'll talk all about <laughs> that, that later but uh, family got, grew up there in esto and, and Doc Rogers, he, as you said, he, he was in the major leagues for seven years, but in pro ball for, I think, a total of 15 total. 15 to 16 years yeah. he was in pro ball. And actually, he played uh, in 164 um, major league games, and he pitched in 151. He actually played first base in uh, one game for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he played outfield in 11 games for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1911, and he played shortstop one game in 1914 for the Pittsburgh Rebels. <laughs> so he he was a right-handed pitcher and a left-handed batter. Hmm. And uh, Unheard of for someone to be a – not at that time, but certainly today, to, to play multiple positions, especially as a pitcher. Well, David, you just don't hear that. Well, not in this day and time. Yeah. It, was, it was much more common in that – era of course Babe Ruth was the most notable in that yeah. era he he pitched yeah. and then they brought him in and said babe what do you want to do pitch or play the outfield and he said play the outfield <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he played in what was called the dead ball era from what about from about 1900 to about 1920 uh, the uh, rules changed in 1920 but you could do almost anything you wanted to to the baseball they played with the same ball the whole game. By the end of the ball game, it was soft. You played, I'm sure all of you played sock ball, where you just walk yeah. up. Younger kids may not have, but we have. And, and uh, you could do anything you wanted to to the baseball back then. You could uh, Low scoring games, too. 
low-scoring ball games. Um, the dead ball era. And I've it, never heard of that. Yeah, it was from 1900 to about 1919, and you could spit on the ball. You could throw a spitter. You could scuff mm-hmm. the ball. You could put, couldn't you? And I heard Doc that they they had spit tobacco juice on it and, and discolor it so the pitch so the batter couldn't see. It's very dangerous. And the reason they changed that the spitball rule in nineteen twenty, someone got killed, got hit with a baseball. David, it's an interesting story about that. Uh, as Doctor Rogers said, they would uh, just put slippery elm or whatever on the ball. Spitball was legal. There was a player named Ray Chapman who was beaned late in the game. Uh, by a player, by a pitcher for the Yankees. He's the only baseball player killed in the major leagues during a game. The pitcher was named Carl Mays. He was known as a fellow who would doctor the the baseball from Kentucky. He had a he had a, over 200 wins, as I recall, and he was from Casey County. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, left Casey County when he's about 12 years old and moved to Oklahoma. But uh, uh, he had statistics which. He could have been considered for the Hall of Fame, but he never was because of what happened. Yeah, they, they changed those rules in 1921 is when they, when they changed the rules. Nobody had helmets then. You know, we need to point that out, that nobody had a batting helmet at all. Interesting yeah. point about that. The first major leaguer given credit to wear a baseball helmet was from Kentucky. Pee Wee Reese is given credit for the first major leaguer to wear a uh, a baseball helmet. Hmm. Smart uh, man. Until until 1901, 1901 and 1903, the American League changed in 1901 and the National League changed in 1903. When you fouled the ball off, it wasn't a strike. Right. You, you could, a, yeah, you could stay at the plate forever. Yeah. But in 1901, the American League changed over to when you, you know, your first two times, when you swing at the ball, fouled it off, it was a strike. Up until then, didn't mean well, anything. Didn't mean anything. Just ha- it just wonder how long games lasted. It didn't ha- a while. <laughs> well, they didn't have any lights, so they, they no, couldn't last till, too till long. Dark. They didn't have any lights. They didn't have any lights till probably nineteen in the thirties, I would say. So Cyberger had uh, a decent career. Probably his best year, I think, uh, was with the nineteen ten Dodgers or the uh, Supers. Yes, sir. Nineteen nineteen ten. What? In one game in nineteen ten. Uh, they were playing the Chicago Cubs, um, playing playing in Brooklyn, playing the Chicago Cubs, and the Chicago Cubs were in first place. Cybarger it went went fourteen innings. Cybarger pitched all fourteen innings. He had three hits, two singles, and a double. And with one out in the bottom of the fourteenth inning, he drove in the winning run. <laughs> they carried him off the field. And you have a newspaper story uh, about that game. I do. Were uh, from the Brooklyn Eagle. Is that from the, the Brooklyn Eagle? A recounting yeah. of the Brooklyn Eagle. This happened on June sixteenth, nineteen and ten. Read part of that to us. It's a fascinating story. Of it was Cy Barger's game where he controlled the pitching for fourteen innings, won the game with his bat, and the Brooklyn newspaper. Had a had a big write up. It, it is quite interesting how they wrote at that time on stories of baseball and stories of everything. But it, yeah. it's it's the it says the most popular man in Brooklyn today is one Cyborger, the lanky twirler of the Brooklyn team. If ever there was a thrilling game in which a pitcher was the whole show from soup to nuts, it was that, <laughs> it was that wonderful fourteen inning battle. At Washington Park between the Supras and the Cubs. Sam was a marvel in every department of the game. He pitched great ball, fielded like a fiend, and as for hitting, why, Sam made the famous Swat Milligan speech look like a Bush League stuff. <laughs> Never before in Brooklyn has a ball player been handed the ovation that literally swamped Barger after he tore off. A two-bagger in the 14th inning, which sent Irwin scurrying home to the plate with the winning run. Wow. <laughs> and it goes on to say that the fans waited around for an hour after the game, and when Barger left, the, the fans uh, ran after him, and Barger took and Cy Barger took off running. <laughs> you know, I, I pulled up in 1912 just as a uh, on a – 
baseball website, but it was a summary of every game of the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1912. So this was a couple of years after his probably best year. But on Friday, Friday, July the 5th, 1912, the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing the New York Giants. And the starting pitchers were Cy Barger of Jamestown, Kentucky, and Christy Mathewson, who's uh, obviously one of the all-time greats in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Big Six was his nickname. Big yep. Six. Yes. Never heard of that. Mm-hmm. That's where Big Six Henderson, the old revenuer, got his nickname he was a baseball pitcher and it was after christy mathis is there you've heard of big six henderson. i've heard of big six mm-hmm. henderson dr rogers after his baseball career was over uh what did cy barger do uh, i know he lived in columbia at the time of his death in 1964 but what did he do after baseball until his death well you know after playing baseball he actually played baseball for a team in um memphis called the Chickasaws in 1919 at the age of 34 he was the manager outfielder and pitcher for the uh, Memphis Chickasaws in the Southern League which would probably be a class A ball at at this time and uh, Hmm. that that was an interesting fact he was the coach at the University of Kentucky baseball for uh, Did not know that. two seasons in 1923 and 1924. He was UK's baseball coach. In 23, they won four and lost seven. And in 1924, they won eight and lost five. So in two seasons with UK, he was 12 and 12. And he was the manager and um, the coach of the team when they beat such teams as Michigan and Notre Dame for the first time. Hmm. And he and his brother Oris bought a um, store in Columbia. It was in the corner on the square there over where First and Farmers National Bank is right now. And it was named Barger Brothers um, Hardware Store. Okay. They kept that for 30 years. Was he there? I mean, he worked there? I don't know that he worked there that much, but he was... An you know, investor, anyway. Investor on it, and now he he did do a lot outside of his outside of his professional baseball career. He was the uh, first. Uh, he was the president of the first chamber of commerce in Columbia. Hmm. He was a member of the city council town board at that time for yeah. many years. He had a fifty-year Masonic pin. He was on the board of directors for the First National Bank. He was on the board of directors of the Adair County Stockyard. He was a member of the Selective Service Board. He was an elder and a Sunday school teacher. He was very active in the, in the uh, Columbia Christian Church. And they kept that store f- there on the square for 30 years, and then they sold it to uh, Sonny Vaughn and Warren Ship. So, uh, so very active in the Columbia community once he got finished with baseball and managing and coaching and moved back. He very active member of the community kept his hands in the community he yeah. did now his his to, his major league statistics for his major league playing he played seven years and he played in 164 games now his record was 46 wins and 63 losses had a one loss percentage of uh, 0.422 so earned an average of 3.56 in, in uh, 151 games. So he had a great major league career. Not yep. not many people stayed in major leagues for seven years, actual major leagues, and then played 16 years in, in uh, what was considered pro ball. And then went, uh, as you noted, down to Memphis and was a coach player for – Manager, Mem- player, outfielder, pitcher, everything. Memphis Chickasaws? Memphis Chickasaws, the and they chicks. do what? The they, Chicks, they – that are still known by that, but they're called the Chicks. Is what they're, they're called. called the yeah. Chicks. Chicks, and 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 <laughs> chicks. Uh, some of the teams in that league were the uh, Atlanta Crackers, <laughs> the Birmingham Barons, Chattanooga Outlooks, Little Rock Travelers, Memphis Chickasaws, Mobile Bears, Nashville Volunteers, and I found this very interesting that you will know with the NBA that it, and it, it was the New Orleans Pelicans. Hmm. Interesting. Doctor, you're related. 
to he Cyborg. was my great great uncle yes sir and Cyborger, you know they still have descendants here today the bargers and uh of course oris and mike barger right mike right. and uh, adele i got some of the information from them yes right what was he like you knew him uh, in his uh, you were in high school uh lived across the road from you what was he like in his older years to very you? very gentle very nice soft-spoken didn't say a lot smoke cigars you say love to sit on that front porch out there and smoke cigars Big old stogies. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he was a very nice person yeah definitely very, very interesting member of the kentucky athletic hall of fame I and mean, if you go to freedom hall now there is a bronze plaque there at freedom halls is cy barger jamestown kentucky uh Two, two years after his death, he was the 17th inductee into the Kentucky uh, Athletic Hall of Fame. Is that right? Two years after his passing. So yeah, in 1966. 66. Yes, sir. Yeah. Where did he play college ball? He played uh, college ball Transylvania. Transy. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, from uh, 02 to 05. Hmm. Well, it's just a fascinating story. And uh, the more that I've learned about it here this morning even, it's just – uh, didn't know that he was coach University of Kentucky for a couple of years. And, yes, sir. And uh, it's a, just a fascinating story, and to know some of his family as we do, and, and it's, it's it's quite an achievement, and a lot of people don't know about him. For a young man from Esto, Kentucky, he went a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Rogers, we thank you so much uh, for being on our program this morning and sharing with us some insight about Cy Barger and uh, just really appreciate you taking the time to do that. It's my pleasure, and thank you very much for having me. And we know you may have to get back to your office and practice, and we certainly understand that, but thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thank you all. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. Dr. Ronald Rogers of uh, Columbia, who uh, uh, Cy Barger was his great, great uncle, sharing with us a lot of information here this morning about uh, Cy Barger. Again, if you have questions, uh, if you have comments, if you have some information you would like to share with us on this topic, you can send us an email to allthingsrussell at lakercountry.com or uh, you can give us a call at 270-343-4444 and let us hear from you. And uh, Now, Tony, we're going to talk about something that happened in Russell County in 1931. Uh, it's known as the uh, shooting at Indian Creek. And David Cross uh, is here with us, knows a lot of information, has a lot of information about this. Um, four people were killed, David, in a very short period of time. And we're going to talk with David a little bit. And then, uh, as we've been talking about for the past several days, we have an audio recording of the late Kermit Mann. Kermit Mann, longtime Russell County clerk, um, who was a participant in that baseball game at the young age of 20. And we have uh, an audio of Kermit sort of describing what happened. He was on third base. But, Davis, David, give us a little background on Indian Creek. What happened? First of all, David, where was Indian Creek? Well, Indian Creek uh, commenced right there, if you all know, where Grider Hill Dock is. Yes. And Indian Creek uh there was three forks, West Fork, Middle Fork, and Big Indian Creek, which went to 76 Falls. Right below Grider Hill Dock, it turned into Russell County. So Indian Creek was in both counties. Uh, and the mouth of Indian Creek is very close to Wolf Creek Dam. Now, this was an era when many communities had baseball teams. Uh, As Dr. Indian Rogers alluded to, he played for Purdy in Adair County. I that did one the, summer, yes. That was the community baseball team. <laughs> it was. Team. <laughs> uh, in, in looking at, at some of the old records, you know, things got fairly organized in, in the 30s and 40s. And uh, Russell County at one point in time, uh, the Russell Springs team played against a, a league out of, based out of Campbellsville, but the Exe in Greene County had a team. And Clinton County played – Go ahead, Doc. Camelsville Cokes. I played on the Camelsville Cokes okay. one summer. Cokes? Cokes. Coca-Cola. They okay. had a bowling plan over there. Okay. And uh, it, it, baseball was a big thing, and there was the, the Bluegrass League, which was Glasgow, Tompkinsville, Park City, Albany, Burksville. And in the 40s, they would, what they'd do, they would bring in former major leaguers to pitch. 
Hmm. And uh, Albany was notorious to bring in Max Macon. Max Macon was a former Brooklyn Dodger, later a referee in the Southeastern Conference, a basketball referee. But you'd have to pay him to come down, and he did that for more than one season for for Albany. And you you would have crowds of 1,500 to 2,000 people in these little communities to see these big games and these former major league stars come in. Well, what we're talking about back in 1931 wasn't at that level, but it was an area down there where they always took their baseball seriously. Mm-hmm. Indian Creek historically has turned out as many good athletes in Clinton and Russell County as anywhere, and uh, probably because the ground was so flat, it was easier to play baseball down there, and baseball was always big along the river and in the lower end. And uh, what was planned, this was on a Saturday afternoon, therefore a lot of people were, a lot of men were working and could not come to this game. Reports say there were three to four hundred people at the ball field, which was just a very, very short distance across the Russell County line from Clinton County, and it would have been within sight of Gratter Hill Dock. It was a brand new field. A fellow named Connor had, had allowed the boys to make a ball field down there. And there was such a big crowd because the Indian Creek team was scheduled to play the black team from Burksville. They had an African-American baseball club in, in Burksville. Well, this was 1931, and for reasons that are unknown, but we can speculate that they were understandable, the black team never arrived. So there was such a huge crowd of people from Creelsboro and Mantown and Indian Creek and Rowena and the whole area that they just decided to have a game anyway. And there were four players from the from the Creelsboro team, Kermit Mann being one, uh, Monk Oliver. Uh, I'm a little unsure if Carlos Mann was playing. I believe he was. Another one I don't know. But they picked up players from 76 and other areas and they were playing the Indian Creek team. Indian Creek had a heck of a ball club. I was going to say, reputably a very, very good team. Al Cook was their main pitcher. Uh, Al's family ran the post office at Osco, right below Grider Hill Dock, and he played a year of minor league ball. Uh, The best baseball player ever to come out of Clinton County was Luther Connor. Luther was behind the plate for Clinton County. He was 16 years old. Uh, Luther was so good, he had a tryout with the Louisville Colonels a few years later and might have made the team. He was in his early to mid-twenties at the time, but the Courier-Journal had a, had a daily uh, report called Luther's Log to see how Luther was going to do with the Colonels. <laughs> and uh, the Colonels were the, the top one of the top AAA teams, and uh, if you didn't make the Colonels, you could have you know, played in the Kitty League, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Kentucky, Illinois, Tennessee League was called the Kitty League. And uh, Luther got hurt late in spring training, and instead of going to rehab and going to the minor leagues, he went back, and his father had a sawmill business and lumber business in Albany, and so he just went back home. But uh, he was the father of attorney Hoppy Connor of, uh, of Albany, but Luther Connor was behind the plate. So you had all these people there. And Monk Oliver was at the plate, and uh, Indian Creek was in the field, and I think it's probably a good time to let the late Kermit Mann tell us about what happened next. Well, so so the Indian Creek team was there, and they were scheduled to play the all-African-American team from Burksville, which did not show. So those in the crowd from Krillsboro and other places, as you alluded to, just put together their own team. Yes. And they were playing Indian Creek. Yes. Okay. And and it had been going on for a while, and it was a big gathering, so the record reflects that alcohol was somewhat prevalent at this. There was some drinking going on. And this was September the 12th, 1931. Saturday, September 12th. And again, Kermit Mann... uh, 
longtime Russell County clerk. Tony served for 20, Six, 16 years. 16 years as county clerk. 1967. 1961 to 1977. Uh, Kermit Mann was uh, 20 years old, and he was there at the game, was playing. And in 1994, before he passed, uh, Kermit Mann sat down with, we believe, it is Coley Coffee, L.C. Coffee. Um, and L.C. Coffee, Coley Coffee, did an interview with Kermit. I uh, believe he was a resident at that time in 1994, prior to his death at Fair Oaks Nursing Home. But uh, Coley Coffee sat down with him and did an interview. And we have Coley Coffee's handwritten notes from that interview. And we have the audio of uh, the interview with. Uh, Kermit Mann, and we're going to play that for you now. Again, this is on audio tape, maybe not the best quality, but certainly we think it's good enough that you can understand some of the things that uh, Kermit Kermit had to say about that day. When they had all the people were killed down on Indian Creek, yeah. Now, according to Month, you were the youngest player on the Creelsboro team in 1931. I could have been. I don't know. I never thought about it. What year were you born? 1911. 1911. So you were 20. You were 20 years old. Might, uh, might have been the youngest. Yeah. Carlos thought you were the youngest. Yeah. But now, according to them, this happened on September the 12th, 1931, up on Indian Creek. That's where it happened. That's where it happened. There was a big crowd up there. There was a revival going on at a church up there that week. Now, they also thought that you all were a substitute team that a team from Burksville was supposed to play. That's exactly right. And you all, they called you all, and you all made up your team at Creelsburg. Yes. And the Burksville team didn't show up. I believe it was a black team. Yes, it was a black team. Okay. All right. Now, okay, now, according to what Monk remembered, he was at bat, and that Carlos was coaching third. Well, I can tell you, I remember this. I was a runner on third base. And when that started, I walked in. I didn't have no more sense than to walk in those guns. Right, right in the middle of it. I did that. Well, now, Monk said that they had batted the ball away and you all only had one ball and that it was over in a field and some of the kids were looking for it. And he was just standing at the batter's box. Could have been. I don't remember that. All right. He said the best he remembered is that George Elmore walked up to him out of the crowd and that Elmore had been drinking. And he said, knock the ball away, Monk. And Monk said, George, I hit it over in the field and they're looking for it. And he says about that time, Leo Mann came up to George and said, you're under arrest, George. I'm going to take you to jail. George said, you'll take me nowhere. And with that, Leo pulled out a gun. And they began to scuffle. That's right, over that gun. They yeah. both had a hold of it. Yeah. It was Leo's gun, but they were yeah. both scuffed. And they scuffled out towards first base. That's right. And that's where I was. And I eased on towards home. <laughs> <laughs> you wish you probably were home, but it is. Yeah, so gun, sir. Now, then they said that... Uh, Hadley. What was Hadley's name? Uh, Jasper. One was Jasper. 
Jasper Hadley. And who? Jasper Hadley. Jasper. That was his name, Jasper. Jasper came out of the crowd with a gun and that he shot Leo. And that they think, they're not sure now, they think that Jasper accidentally shot George Elmore too. He did. Accident. Without a doubt, I think he did. Elmore twisted around. It's just as he to shoot. Yeah. So then Bill Man came out of the crowd over there and Bill Man shot Jasper Hadley. Let me add a little to that. Well, that's what I want you to. Bill Mann shot one time in his gun room. He was a shaking, trying to free it. Then Hadley came up and shot him right in there. So Bill got that going and shot him. Now, that's the way I saw it. I guess all we were telling you about the same. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't, there's not much difference. The only difference in the stories is whether it's four shots or five shots. Monk thought there was five shots. Carlos thought there was only four. There could have been only four. But he said there's no, there's out of doubt is that Jasper of course, didn't mean to kill Elmore because that was his buddy. No, he didn't intend to kill him. No, he didn't. But that he just, as you say, he got twisted around. He twisted around there quickly, just twisted around there a lot. Yeah. Now, can you remember that when Hadley was laying on the ground, that he raised up his gun and shot Bill Mann? No, that wasn't the way it happened. I'm going to tell you the way I saw it. Yeah, that's what I wanted. Bill's gun was hung, and he was shaking it. That's when Habit come up and took dead aim and shot him. I don't know which side it was, but the blood just started. He lived just a few minutes. And, uh, but it, it would appear that maybe Hadley wound up killing three of the four. He killed Bill. Yes, he could have. And David, that's the audio recording, uh, a portion of it, of the late Kermit Mann, longtime Russell County clerk, who, as he said, was standing on third base when the shooting began and he just walked on in <laughs> to home play right in the middle of all of it. It was a uh, one of the most tragic days in the history of Russell County. And to kind of set the players and give you the background, Leo Mann was a very well-known figure in uh, the lower end. Mantown never had a post office, but it had its own voting precinct. And Leo was known as the fella that could carry Mantown. Of course, he was kin to everybody down there. He was the constable. Uh, Leo's son, Glenn Mann, was uh, many years later a sheriff of Clinton County, a great friend of mine, still living. Leo had had trouble before with the Hadleys. This incident didn't just start that day. But the year before, the, uh, the main road from Albany to Creelsboro called the Grider's Ferry Road, went down Salt Lick Creek. Paul and Jasper Hadley lived on Salt Lick, just over the line in Clinton County. For some reason, and we can't pinpoint why, the Hadley brothers and Leo Mann had an incident in 1930, and Paul Hadley shot Leo Mann off his horse and wounded him. And it was a, uh, it was a, they were prosecuted. They had a, a trial against Paul. They severed the case, and about 
three, four, five months before this September incident, Paul Hadley was tried for maliciously shooting and wounding Leo Mann, and the jury went out, and they couldn't reach a verdict, and they even kept them overnight to try to get mm. it resolved, but it came back the next morning with the hung jury. So, and there, Paul would have been a brother to Jasper yes. Hadley, who was involved in the shooting. Correct. So soon after that, the Hadley brothers pled guilty to breach of peace and were fined $100. Leo Mann pled guilty to something, disorderly conduct, I think, and was fined $50. But the bad blood was there. Yeah. So that's why, in my opinion, Jasper Hadley come out with a gun when Leo Mann was about to arrest Elmore. So it had been brewing for, for some time. And, and as we know, Jasper Hadley died at the scene. Bill Mann died at the scene of the baseball game in 1931. Leo Mann uh, was taken to Russell Springs to Dr. McClendon's office uh, there on Main Street in Russell Springs. He died the next day. And George Elmore uh, was taken uh, at Rowena, Dr. Ballou's office that night and I think died the next day as well. That's correct. And Leo Mann had been hit in the lungs, and he was conscious and could give statements about his version of what happened. So a contemporaneous newspaper account from Leo Mann said... Before he passed. Yes, before he passed. He said he had started to arrest several youths for firing pistols on the field when the quarrel started. Uh, So that's... That may or may not have been exactly correct. We don't know. But here's the the most interesting thing about this. It was such a tragic time. There, there's there's one family in the lower end there in Mantown. Elmore was the wife's brother. Leo Mann was the husband's father. These people were all related and lived in very close proximity to each other. But Robert Annell, who was uh, previously the state senator and also from the lower end, Uh, Robert Annell was quoted as saying that there would be no investigation of the gun battle last Saturday because all the participants are dead. Paul Hadley was not there. Now, if we go on and listen to more of the audio with Kermit Mann, it's interesting. Kermit Mann says that when the shooting stopped, that uh, he got on his horse and was going to ride home and on it was a long trip he had to cross on the ferry and on his way home on horseback he said i'd never got frightened until i was going home and then i got scared and on my way home i met paul hadley on the road he said i was a man he was a hadley Mm -hmm. i didn't know how he would look at me and it was concerning, but he was very nice and said he'd heard about the shooting, and he was going on to Indian Creek, and I was going home. Interesting. Now, in in investigating this, I've talked to several people in the community. The feud basically died, but it almost didn't. One informant told me, whose grandfather lived very close to the Hadleys, said that after the killing, a group of people of unknown number went to Paul Hadley's house and had something on their mind, mm. but Paul Hadley was not there, and they left, and there was never any more conflict. And we have an account from Kermit Mann, who was riding home on horseback after the shooting and met Paul Hadley on the road. Interesting. So, David, nobody was ever charged? It was not even investigated, as you said? Bob Annell said there's no nobody to charge, nothing to do. Was he the county attorney also? Yes. yes Russell he, County. He'd been in the state senate, but he, at that he, time he was, was county, county attorney. attorney. Right. Lived there just beside Jamestown First Baptist yeah, Church. Yeah, the big white house is still, well, it's, it's yellow. Is it white? It's yellow now. Yellow. Yes, yellow house. It's the parsonage now for Jamestown yes. First Baptist. Would be the grandfather of Laura Henry Harris. And Dr. Henry. Dr. Mark Henry in Somerset. Yes, sir. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, we... We'd see the the cast of characters we had there and and the tragedy that occurred. And again, we don't know what the problem was between the Hadleys and the Manns initially. And we'll never know. 
it's been too long ago. If anybody if anybody knew, they didn't tell it as far as we know. I've heard some uh, one person who was closely related to both of them said her grandmother told her that uh, it was just a lot of yakking back and forth between them, you know, people carrying tails. And people Leo, carrying guns. Yeah, Leo Mann <laughs> was a man of strong personality, okay, and uh, he was... He was a fellow who was who was very prominent down there, and uh, you know the Mantown area was an interesting area. By the way, there's only one person named Man that lives in Mantown now, and that's Bobby Man's widow, Irene. Mm -hmm. Used to be scores of them down there, but as is the case in many of these river bottoms, the the local people have gone, and the people from out of town have moved in. It, you know, you you and Dr. Rogers both talk about community baseball teams. Um, to me, that's just an interesting story in and of itself. And part of this audio with Kermit Mann, he's talking about some of those community baseball teams. And there's an interesting story that Tony knows that Kermit Mann was a really, really good baseball player. And he got recruited to go to Eastern Kentucky to play baseball. Yeah, he did. And what was the rest of that story, Jeff? Uh, I don't know. I forgot yeah. you told me that, that Billy and Bobby grew up in eastern Kentucky, partially Billy and Bobby Mann being his sons. That's right. Uh, the coal companies would sponsor teams right. and bring in good players, like we mentioned the local teams here would bring in former major leaguers. Kermit Mann actually went to Albany and played for the team over there for several seasons with Luther mm -hmm. Cotter in yeah. that group, and they were very, very good. And, and Kermit Mann, in this audio, he talks about uh, folks that were really good baseball players, and he said probably, I don't know if he used the exact words, but but maybe the best baseball player at that time was Kenneth Irvin, uh, who ran the Krillsboro store for so many years. I had the benefit of interviewing Mr. Irvin many years ago when I was a student at Western for a paper, and he told me he had a tryout or an opportunity to go and try out with the Louisville Colonels, and he elected to stay home and run the store. Yeah. Somewhat like Luther Connor elected to go home and get in the, stay in the lumber business. And, and Kermit Mann talks about Kenneth Irvin. He talked about Carlos Mann, who you mentioned is a, a longtime state trooper here. Uh, talked about Glendo Bernard being a very, very good baseball player. Uh, in his younger years. So it's just a fascinating audio to to hear Kermit talk about that. And Dr. Rogers, interesting, and we're not, we're not going to play it, but toward the end of the interview uh, with Kermit Mann, you can hear it, and, and uh, the interviewer, which I, we think is Coley Coffee, is talking, and you can hear in the background some dishes uh, clanging. And, uh, again, we believe they're at Fair Oaks Nursing Home. And Kermit stops the interview and said, well, it's time for me to go eat. said, so you've got enough. <laughs> and cut the interview off. Um, anything else, David, add regarding uh, Indian Creek and, and the incident? How did it affect, David? How did it affect baseball after that? Well, the, uh, the field was a new field, and it was never used again. The farmer, Mr. Connor, said, you'll never play ball here again. Wow. Uh, of course, Indian Creek uh, had a team. There's another fella that lived in the Russell County end of it, I think. Robert Connor was allegedly one of the best ball players ever to come out of Indian Creek. And his he moved over here later, and uh, his sister, I believe, was maybe his daughter was married to Merle Connor mm -hmm. over here. But uh, there's so many Connors on Indian Creek, it's easy <laughs> to get them confused. But I've heard he was as good as anybody down there. Of course, uh, you know, they kept these teams going, and then after the the dam came in, people went one way or the other, and you had these independent teams, and they, they flourished until the 50s, the late 50s, in fact. And it was a Sunday afternoon uh, event, and people turned out big. It was the social event in the community, yeah. right, in the summertime. And they had uh, to take a ferry. A lot of them, if they were on this side of the the community they had to, or the river they had to take a ferry to get over there yeah the the Kermit man and william man lived north of the river okay they had a ferry at creelsboro until 1941 and they had a ferry at rowena until even after the dam came in mm -hmm. but uh, of course you could ride a horse across the river in the summer 
My dad told me an interesting story one time. He was going with Bruce Sloan to uh, pick up cars in Louisville. Bruce was a car dealer, and they got to Creelsboro, and the, the ferry was out, and they didn't know what to do. And Leo Mann was down there, and Leo said, well, if you'll just follow me, you can drive across the river. And I know my dad, who could not swim, was afraid, and he got on the back of the horse with Leo, and Leo guided those cars across the river. People don't believe that, but that's you could do that in dry weather. Well, gentlemen, it's, uh, it's been a great program. We thank you, Dr. Ronald Rogers, David Cross. Uh, thank you for the interesting information on uh, the incident at Indian Creek in 1931. Uh, great program. Thank you both uh, for being on our program today. Again, next Friday, Tony and I will be here and we'll be talking with Michael Ford, school superintendent, about school reopening and the plans and the requirements that uh, not only students but teachers and staff will have to face. Uh, that's an ongoing discussion, Tony, and obviously a concern to to most everyone. And a lot of decisions a, going to have to be made between uh, and, now and school. And those are in the process of being made, but we look forward to that program uh, next Friday with Superintendent Ford and hopefully hopefully with Jonathan Dye from the Health Department. And then on Friday, July the 24th, uh, two weeks from today, Dr. Rick Miles will be our guest. Uh, Dr. Miles is going to be talking about the practice of medicine in Russell County. Of course, Dr. Miles came here in 1979 uh, with the uh, construction of the Russell County Hospital. He's going to be sharing some stories about what brought him to Russell County, about the early days of the hospital, share some stories about Dr. Peck and Dr. Petty and Dr. Munnin and others, and Tony and I have probably got some as well. So we look forward to that program with Dr. Miles on July the 24th. Again, an audio podcast of today's program is available at LakerCountry.com. LakerCountry.com. Click on the tab, All Things Russell. For my co-host, Tony Kerr, I'm Jeff Hoover. Have a great weekend, everyone.